Hello, and welcome to Minding the Forest, a podcast of the Louisiana Forestry Association. I'm your host, Jeff Zerang. In Minding the Forest, we talk about sustainable forestry, how important forests are to Louisiana and its economy, and how Louisiana's forests benefit everyone. This is part two of the two-part series on Minding the Forest with tax attorney and estate specialist, Paul Spillers, where we talk about timber and taxes. In this episode, we'll learn about tax deductions in managing your forest. Here's part two. Now we move to landowners who have had their forest land for quite some time. Uh, Maybe they've managed a little bit here, a little bit there. What would you advise those who have forest land and maybe just not have paid close enough attention to it? Well, I would advise them most important thing is, is to make sure you're managing it to its full potential. If you have an asset that through my management I may be earning 2%, if I can get some assistance, some expertise brought to bear, if I can double my rate of return from 2% to 4%, that's a pretty good, pretty good deal for me. That's what a consulting forester can do for the landowner who maybe knows a little bit about trees, but is certainly not an expert. So retaining a good consulting forest is probably the best use of my time and effort that I can think of. So managing the land at the very face value, managing the land is most important for, one, keeping the forest sustainable, having as, as fruitful of wildlife is available to you. So in managing for wildlife, uh, let's say landowners have it for a while, maybe they just acquired it from their, uh, the older generation. And now while managing it for wildlife, they want to be able to use it as a lease. What are some of the things that they should be aware of if they're going to be leasing their property specifically for hunting? Very, uh, very good. There's a very good relationship usually between hunting clubs and landowners. Let me explain that. Hunting clubs are very good for landowners, particularly those landowners who may live out of state or miles away from their property. They're not out there visiting their property on a daily or a weekly basis. So a lot of things can happen on your property if you don't manage it, if you don't go look at it and oversee it, that's where the hunting club comes in. Those guys, they're out there sometimes every weekend, sometimes daily. They're out there enjoying chasing the game or just enjoy riding their four-wheelers around. They enjoy being out on the property. So when the hunting club sees something going on that didn't look quite right, they can call the landowner and the landowner can get right on it and solve the problem. If somebody's overcutting and cutting your trees, the land, the hunting club guys are going to find out the first to know. They're very protective of your property. Your interest is exactly the same as theirs. If there's somebody cutting your trees, they're going to call the owner. So there's a good. There tends to be a real good uh, benefit relationship between a hunting club and a landowner. How about from a tax basis standpoint? or maybe not the basis in the, in the trees, but the cost that we're talking about, but it, from a tax perspective? Well, what, what I do or what I try to do is if there's some 
if there are some things that I need done on my property, for example, uh, bush hogging or maintaining the roads or keeping the culverts open or maybe even building little bridges, I ask my hunting club to do those things and they usually supply the labor and I supply the capital and, and it tends to work out pretty good because they want good roads, they want good uh, ditches, and, and, and it usually works out where I pay the money, the cost of the materials, and they provide the labor. So that, that's, that's a, good, a good result. So basically you have better managed land and the hunters can fix it like they want it. Yeah, and they enjoy it more so. If, if it has a good system of roads, they enjoy it more, and they have better hunting results, and maybe a food plot. I've been thinking about planting a food plot. Well, they will jump in and do it for me. I buy the seed, and they provide the tractor and the capital, I mean, the labor to go and plant the food plots. And so the land benefits because it enhances the wildlife, and the hunters benefit because it enhances the wildlife. It's a win-win deal for everybody. <laughs> From a tax perspective, though, for those, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that landowners really might want to keep in mind? Well, the, I, I guess the, the, any expense that the landowner incurs if he's in the business of growing trees, if he's in the business, then any expense associated with managing and growing trees is deductible. Uh, currently, that year. So in, in landowners, there are many different types of landowners that own land for many different types of reasons. But if, as long as that expense is associated with management of the property, is going to be deductible, and that offsets other income. And when you offset other income at your tax bracket, that's going to save you taxes every time. So it's, it's, a, it's a good... It's a good uh, way to look at your, your land. I want to generate as many deductions as I can consistent with my management objectives. If you're not in the business of growing trees, those expenses will be non-deductible, which means there's no tax benefit. You're spending your money and getting no tax benefit. That's not good. Does that include the cost of a consulting forester? Is that included in the management expenses? Sure. If you pay your consulting forester, whatever you pay him, that's a management expense. It's deductible. What are other expenses that might come to mind that uh, well, some landers might overlook? Well, if you have insurance, uh, you have taxes, you hire a consulting forester, you're, uh, say you want to plant some food for the wildlife, and you pay somebody to do that, you not a hunting club, but you pay somebody else to do it. Those expenses are all deductible. Is there a certain percentage of those, or you just add all those up and there's a certain percentage of the aggregate? No, you add all of them up and deduct 100%. And that 100% deduction offsets that amount of income, and whatever amount of income that's offset, multiply that times your tax bracket, and that's your tax savings. So although you are paying money out during the year to manage the land, you can recoup that through the tax relief you would get. You would not recoup all of it because here's the deal. If I have a deduction, just for illustrative purposes, I spend $1,000, some expense on my 
property. <clears throat> it's deductible. And by being deductible, my tax savings will be $1,000 times my tax bracket. And if my tax bracket is 25%, my tax savings will be $1,000, what I spent, times my 25% bracket. So my tax savings is only $250. So by spending $1,000, the government has saved me $250. So not the entire 1000 just the 25%. So if, for example, I participate in a uh, federal program through the NRCS and there's matching grant money there, I have to come up with it. Right. I have to pay the whole thing and then I get a reimbursement for whatever percentage it's broken down to, whether it's 50%, 75%, depending on right. the program. Uh, <clears throat> and with the FPP, if there's a 50% match or 25% match, that's what I'm paying for. So if I'm going to spend... Uh, $10,000 for something, uh, and it's 50% match, I've got to come up with the whole 10000 I get reimbursed of the 5000 How do I work Here, that into my taxes? Here's how that works on your tax return. You would report the cost that you expended. You spent, let's say, $10,000. So you get a deduction for $10,000. But that's not the end of the story because the state... Of Louisiana through the FPP program reimburses you, let's say 50%. So you get a check one day for 50% of 10,000 or 5,000 bucks. Now that 5,000 of income has to be shown as income. So after it washes through the system, you've deducted 10,000 and you report 5,000 of income. So your net deduction is how much? 5,000. 5,000. It's 10,000 less 5, or it's 5. So it still works out. The tax works out with what you actually have spent That's on, on the land. Your net. Net. Your net expenditure is 5,000. Okay. What other tax tips you might suggest? Well, an another thing that, that uh, comes to mind is not so much income tax. It would just be general management or looking to the future. If you're up in age, you begin to think about what should I do with my property in the event of my death. And that's when you start thinking about estate planning and that's a different tax. Uh, totally, it's not income tax, it's an estate tax. So you begin to think about what should I do to try to make sure there's no estate taxes paid. Which of my children should I leave my property to? Should I put my property in a trust? There's all kind of management issues associated with not acquiring, not managing, but disposing of your property. So the disposition of your property, uh, if you've done a great job of acquiring and managing, you don't need to drop the ball on the disposition. You need to make sure you have a good plan in place for the proper and equitable distribution or disposition of your property. Some landowners have, have created uh, an LLC or, or incorporation of some uh, type uh, before the land is, is passed on to the next generation. Is that sometimes the best way to do it? Generally, that's a very good way. It's a very good way of doing it. But you can't stop by just forming an LLC, putting your property in it. 
there are other things you need to think about doing um, after you form it. You can't just form it and forget about it. You need to form it and then utilize what the law allows to get rid of property uh, on a tax-efficient basis. What are some of the things that they, they could consider and how to, to transfer the land from uh, one generation to the next? Well, there's always gifts. Think about a gift, but there's disadvantages associated with gifts. We talked about earlier because of the low, low basis. Uh, there are other ways that we can structure the disposition, for example, in a will. There may be uh, things that you want to put in your will that dictates who's going to get what. Uh, but those instructions, you can't just talk to your kids about it. You need to put those binding instructions in a will. So having a will and structuring it carefully is very beneficial for that. Very and that's beneficial. something they should seek out their uh, own attorney to, to ask questions about. Yes, their own, uh, each landowner's attorney and CPA needs to be involved in helping them structure a tax-efficient way of disposing of their property. What about on the other end of once the property is, is well, the, whatever the plan is developed to dispose of the property, I'm receiving the property, what are some of the things that I would need to be aware of in, in acquiring that? Well, we've kind of gone around the full circle. We started out with acquisition of property. Now we're back to that same point. Remember, when you're acquiring property as a child or an heir, you're concerned about what? making sure you get the maximum tax basis, making sure we get as much benefit, and that means property needs to pass through the estate to get that stepped-up basis for the next generation. Typically, that's a, a very desirable uh, thing for, the, for each generation. Each generation that acquires the property hopefully will get a stepped-up basis. That is the most important thing. Is that transferred through the ownership of an LLC? Should they decide that route? What happens is, if I, my property is in an LLC, at my death, the asset that I own, I don't own the land. I own the LLC. So when my LLC passes through the estate, the LLC gets a stepped-up basis. My basis in the LLC is stepped up. And also, if I make the proper election, there's got to be an election made, but if I make the proper election or my kids make the proper election, then not only does my basis in my LLC get stepped up, but the inside basis, the land basis, they also gets a stepped up. But you've got to file a certain election to get that second benefit. This concludes our two-part series of Minding the Forest with Paul Spillers, tax attorney and estate specialist. Paul is also a past president of the Louisiana Forestry Association. We hope you've enjoyed the program. Thank you for listening to Minding the Forest, a podcast of the Louisiana Forestry Association. I'm your host, Jeff Zarang. If you'd like to learn more about sustainable forestry, the LFA and its programs, and how you can be part of an organization that supports landowners, loggers, and wood manufacturers in the state, go to laforestry.com. And remember, at the Louisiana Forestry Association, we're mining the forest for you.